all that, but we're moving through this fall campaign called Be a Disciple. We recognize that God's called us, Jesus really calls us to be disciples, and that he's called us as Christians, once we are a disciple, to reproduce ourselves and make disciples. And that's really what Jesus' model was, you know? I mean, he started, he spent three years here on the earth, and he focused in on 12 guys, and 120 was his little bit larger group, and he focused in on them. He built into their lives. He showed them how to minister to others. He taught them the truth of who he was, who God is, and then he turned them loose. And uh, the Holy Spirit came on the day of uh, Pentecost, and, and then these guys, these people who were fearful, they were just uneducated, regular folk, All of a sudden, they got up and preached powerfully, and and people started turning to Jesus and began to follow. And this is how Christianity, the movement of Jesus, has spread um, throughout the world for the most part, is just um, one person sharing with another person. And so uh, that's really our emphasis here. We're going to go through the next four weeks as we kind of uh, um, move through the the second half of this uh, growth campaign. We're going to focus in on the four chairs Uh, that we've been talking about. The chairs are a metaphor for the calls of Jesus, that Jesus calls us to follow him. This chair one really represents a person's life before they put their trust in Jesus. Uh, The truth is that discipleship begins before I become a follower. You have friends, maybe some of you are here today, I know we have people that come to our church, who are really just looking into the claims of Jesus. What's this all about? What did Jesus teach? What, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? And really, for the most part, that's what most people do. They kind of look into something right before they just jump in all the way. And so, um, and so that's really where we're at. Today, we're just going to look at what is that place, what is kind of that core message uh, of the gospel? What is the church all about, Church of Jesus? What was Jesus all about? And that's what we're going to focus in on today, because the truth is that a lot of people, and I've watched this over my life, they kind of put themselves in a position to learn, right? To, to check out, to come and see, Jesus said. Come and see. So they put themselves in a position to do that. But sadly, there's a lot of people never take that step to really jump in and put their trust in Jesus. There's a guy named Lord Kenneth Clark uh, who was really kind of big in the 80s and 90s. He, or, excuse me, 80s, late 70s, early 80s. He had a TV show called Civilization. Kind of a, uh, you know... Uh, pseudo, uh, pseudo, an intellectual, right? <laughs> had the British accent, always makes people sound smart. And so uh, he, he did a show um, about, uh, about civilization and about the human race and everything. But uh, the, the, the truth is that he lived and died without ever placing his trust in Jesus. He tells in his autobiography that he attended a church service one time and he felt the powerful presence of God. He felt something he'd never felt before, he'd never encountered before. And he said it really just uh, permeated his whole being, and he knew there was something there. But he said, uh, sadly, he said there was this, this gloom of grace, you know, the grace of God. He called it the gloom of grace. He said, um, you know, the, the, the truth is it created a problem. He said, if I were to believe it, I would have to change. I'd have to change my life. And he said, my family might think I lost my head. <laughs> I went crazy. And, uh, and he said, what if it turned out to be just an emotional thing that I was feeling and there was really no substance behind it and it, it faded away, it turned out to be an illusion. And so he said, I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. And the truth is that a lot of people get exposed to Jesus, but there's something that stops them from taking a step. I want us to focus in this morning on what the gospel really is. What is the truth of it? What does the Bible teach 
about the nature of human, humanity. What is this story? What's the narrative that the Bible teaches uh, that is the truth about our world and our existence? Jesus invited people to come and see what God was up to. Jesus made the offer to usher in the rule of God. He called it the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He said, it's at hand. When he came to the earth, he started walking among the Jewish people. He said, listen, come, come on, the kingdom of heaven is here. You can have it. Meaning they could submit their lives to the rule of Almighty God. He was their God. He's the one who started their nation. He called Abraham out. He said, listen, Abraham, come and follow me. I'm going to take you to a land. I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a people or give you a seed, and I'm going to bless the world through you. He made a covenant with Abraham. This is how it started. And so Jesus said, listen, nation of Israel, you can come under the rule of Almighty God. In order for us to come under God's rule, we must understand where we are currently. The truth is, as a race, we're going to look at this this morning, as a race, we originally knew God, but we humans gave up the knowledge of God. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, some passages on Romans 1, Romans 2, and Romans 3 this morning. And uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Gentiles, or non-Jewish people, in Rome, who were Christians. <clears throat> they had put their trust in Jesus. But he's writing to them, uh, explaining to them the nature of things, the nature of the human race, where the world came from, how we got into the position that we're in. And so Romans 1 describes a lot, and I want us to walk through this. In order for us to understand the good news of Jesus, we need to understand the history of the human race and where we find ourselves. And so Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21, follow along <clears throat> as I read. Yes, Paul says, about the, uh, the human race. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. When we talk about how we think about the world, there's a phrase or a, a way of kind of um, talking about this in our current age, and that is, what is, what is your worldview? Right? What is your worldview? What is the lens through which you look at and interpret your existence? And we talk about a biblical worldview. The Bible presents a story as it is presented as fact, right, in the Bible. This is what actually has happened. It's not myth. It's not just, uh, you know, old stories that people made up. But it's the revelation of God about the history of the human race. And so the Bible starts off in this worldview presenting uh, this fact that the, that the world, the material world, the universe we live in, human beings, were all created by an eternal, all-powerful God. A God who existed for all eternity, has no beginning and no end. And he is the reason that we're here. It came from his mind, from his being, we came to be. He created, he invented this world and this universe. He spoke, the Bible says, and the universe came to be. He spoke and the earth was formed. He spoke and animals and plants appeared. He spoke, right, and he breathed into 
man, he actually formed us from the dust of the earth, the Bible says, and he breathed into us life. And we're made as human beings in God's image. And he had a plan and an intention for us and for this entire universe. Now, prominent themes today, which are kind of accepted in the world at large, are, uh, is a theory called the Big Bang Theory as to how the universe started. There was an explosion. And, and, uh, and that's how the world came to be. And then the theory of evolution, the, the progression from simple to complex over vast periods of time. These are kind of the predominant theories. If you go to school, you're going to learn about them. If you go to college, you're going to learn more about them. These are the predominantly intellectually accepted ideas in our world. The Bible, encourage you, presents a little different uh, story about how we got here. I think it's interesting, just a couple little things. I'm not going to talk about this this morning, but, um, <clears throat> you know, I've never seen something get created from an explosion. Explosions usually destroy things. They don't create things. So just a thought. I'm a simple guy, so I think simple in simple terms. But I've always had a little question about that. The other thing is that I know enough about my body because I went to, you know, an elementary school and junior high. We learned about the body, right? And I know there's a bunch of different systems in my body. Like there's a skeletal system and a muscular system and a nervous system and a, a, you know, a respiratory system, digestive system. And I've lived long enough to know that even in a house, when there's like four or five systems, that you have a hard time getting them to work together, and they're very simple, that I, I just wonder how a complex creature like myself evolved over time from a simple thing to a very complex thing. Like, how did that work? I've always had a hard time with that, and I've thought to myself that to believe that takes a lot of faith. In my, in my opinion. And I don't know that I have enough faith to believe in that. But I can believe that there was a God who spoke, right, who formed me to work the way I work. He designed my body. And so uh, that's just me, uh, something to think about. Um, but, uh, but these are the themes in our life. These are the stories that are told. The Bible tells a story that Paul relates. He says, listen, we didn't start as, uh, you know, as I learned in school, start as cavemen, really simple and, and, uh, and, you know, not bright, and then grew into and be, gradually over time became intelligent, right, and high level. The Bible says that God created Adam and Eve intelligent, fully formed, and placed them in a garden, and they were highly intelligent. And he says they even had knowledge of God, of the divine. They understood everything about the world, about the universe, how they got there, who they were in relation to God, and they actually by their choice, gave up that knowledge, Paul says, and moved away to become simple and foolish and dark. This is the story that the Bible tells. This is how it happened. Some time ago, an 18-year-old girl from Washington State attended a worship service at a, at a church in her neighborhood. For the first time in her life, she heard the gospel message. The following Tuesday, the members of the church received a letter from her, and this is what it said. Dear church members, Last Sunday, I attended your church, and I heard the preacher. In the sermon, the preacher said that all men have sinned and rebelled against God. Because of their rebellion and disobedience, they all face eternal uh, separation from God in hell. But then he also said that God loves man and sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem men from their sins, and that all those who believe in him would go to heaven and live with God for all eternity. She said, my parents died recently in rapid succession. 
I know they didn't believe in Jesus, uh, who you call the Savior of the world. If what you believe is true, then they are separated from God for all eternity in hell. You compel me to believe that either the message is true, that you yourselves don't believe the message, or that you just don't care. You see, we've lived only three blocks from your church, and no one ever told us this message. When we gave up the truth, Paul says, when the human race gave up the truth of God, we gave up the good behavior that we were created to do. Because giving up the truth results in evil living. This is what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 1, let's continue reading in verse 24. So, Paul says, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's just requires. Uh, they know God's justice requires that they who those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. All right, this is a hard hitting passage. Uh, again, the apostle through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is presenting to us the condition of the human race. He says, "Here's some evidence that what I'm saying is true." And he starts to talk about the things that, as a human race, we have done that demonstrate we've moved away from God's intention. He says, the degradation of our bodies. He goes, God created the human body, right? It's made, in a sense, uh, though our bodies physically are are not uh, necessarily made in the image of God. They represent the creation of God. He invented our bodies. He came up with us. He designed us, okay? And so uh, God had an intention for us. And so in our day, and this has happened for a long time, there are people that have a particular body, and they don't agree with it. They don't like the body they have. They feel as though it's the wrong body, right? We we, we run into this. You've heard of this. And I think, in large part, that uh, our, our confusion about the body we have and why we have it is connected to a lack of knowledge of the one who designed us. And created us. There's some confusion that can result from that. I don't care if you have a drastic uh, difference of opinion. We know now, uh, you know, we hear about it a lot, that there, uh, there are men who believe that they're actually women, right? And they got the wrong body and vice versa. But we also have people that struggle with their body image. They don't see themselves as beautiful, right? Or as good. And we know that this is a struggle that a lot of people have. And ultimately, what we've got to do is learn to see ourselves the way God sees us. 
to understand why we are the way we are. And when we understand and connect with the truth of God, when that knowledge is restored, then our image of ourselves, our acceptance of who we are, changes. And we're seeing that happen in our world. And so this is the first thing he points to, that, that the, the giving up the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the truth led to this. The second thing he says is there was this movement away from worshiping God himself, who created, to worshiping created things. He's like, you could worship the God who made people and animals, right? And yet he goes, human beings gave that up. No, we're not going to worship God. We're going to worship the things he made. And so they put up and created idols made to look like uh, creatures. He goes, it's crazy. (laughs) But this is what we did. We traded the great, the perfect, for a poor substitute. And he's like, this reflects the direction that the human race has gone. We gave up the knowledge of God. We moved towards darkness. We lost the revelation that we had. The, the next thing he says is this sexual perversion he gets into. Now, the example he uses here is a homosexual uh, perversion, right? Women uh, attracted to other women engaged in sexual acts, and then men attracted to men. And he goes, this is not what God intended. And so he, he points it out as evidence that the human race has moved away from the intention of God. Now, there are other uh, perversions and diversions. Heterosexual uh, have plenty of issues, and he could have listed any number of things. He uses this particular example. Again, it's not new today. Um, It's been around uh, for a lot of the history of the world. Paul actually indicates here that it came along pretty quickly. That there was this movement, again, a movement away from the God who created us. And what does that do? Well, it causes me to go into darkness. It causes me to go in the direction of what God calls evil. Because it's not what he intended. He created us. And if the Bible's narrative is true, if it's true then this is the truth. And oftentimes in our world today, we want to argue and struggle with some of these things. We find rationalization for all kinds of stuff. The truth is God's word lays it out very clearly. This is the story of the human race. Last thing he he touches on is just evil living, I call it. And he hits on a, a variety of things. Everything from greed, hatred, right? Disobey, uh, disobeying parents, which I think is interesting. <laughs> just kind of throws it in there. Um, and uh, all the way to just not listening, not understanding, being dim and hard-headed in our hearts and our thinking, just resistant, you know, to the truth. We find that a lot. So we have these kind of different behaviors. And he goes, this is, what, this is where we've ended up. We rebelled against God, right? We moved away from the truth, and this is what it, it's resulted in. It's landed us in a place where we have sin. Now, it's interesting. I don't know if you guys have ever um, had the opportunity to pick an apple off a tree. Actually, not out of the grocery store in a bag, but like off a tree. Have you ever had a chance to do that? There was a a path in Denver that uh, some buddies and I would train on. We'd run on this path. And along the path, there were some apple trees. And so we, uh, on occasion, when the apples were in season, we'd grab one. And uh, I don't know if you've ever done this. If you've ever done that, you might have had the opportunity to take a big old bite out of that apple and find that there's half a worm on the other side. Then you realize, 
I have a worm in my mouth. Now, at that point, you have a decision. Do I just chew it up, extra protein, or do I spit it out? What do I do? So, um, but the truth is, how does a worm get inside the apple? You know, does he bore in from the outside? Like, how does this work? And uh, what we've discovered over time is that the, the worm doesn't bore in from the outside. What happens is an insect comes and lays an egg on the blossom, right, of, of the apple tree. So before the apple's formed in that blossom, there's a little egg. And then, then the apple grows, and it forms around that blossom. That becomes the heart of the apple. And over time, that little egg hatches, and the worm comes out, that larva, and begins to eat the apple from the inside out. The Bible teaches us that sin does not come into us. We don't become sinful people or bad people because of external pressures on us. Uh, in the world we live in, I remember learning this at some point, that, um, that it's the environment that makes people bad. People aren't bad. They, don't, they start off good, and then they're made bad by their environment. The people around them, they're treated poorly. The question then comes, well, if you work that back uh, over the history of the human race, like, it had to start somewhere. Like, you know, where was that bad influence on the first person? You know what I mean? But anyway, this is the theory. This is what we talk about in our world. This is what the world system comes up with. And uh, the truth is, the Bible says, no, uh, bad and evil didn't come at you from the outside. You weren't negatively influenced by your surrounding, your family of origin, you know, these things. No, actually, it starts on the inside of you. It's, you're born with it. You know, uh, sin is, <laughs> you're born in sin. There's systemic sin based on the, the human race that we're born into. Adam and Eve, who in the beginning rebelled against God, right? And in their rebellion, they chose to go against God's rule. They went on the side of, uh, of Satan, and they said, uh, God, we're going to do the opposite of what you want us to do. And that has resulted in sin, a curse of sin over the human race. So we're all born into it. I've got a little a grandbaby, and she's beautiful. And uh, she's a little angel. I think she might have said grandpa yesterday. I feel like I heard that. But, <clears throat> but she's a very smart uh, uh, little child. And I could be tempted to believe that she's innocent, right, and perfect. But because I know what the Bible says, I know that she's a little sinner, okay? And that her heart isn't just perfect and pure and that she's going to choose to say no to her mom and daddy and maybe even her grandpa. She's going to do that because why? No one's teaching her. She has a great environment she's being raised in, perfect, right? She has everything she could want. She's, she's encouraged and nurtured, loved on like crazy, Okay, but the truth is that she has and is born in sin. And as much as I love her and think she's wonderful, I know that that's the truth. And that is what the Bible teaches us, that we're born into this and then we choose it. We choose to live in rebellion. The Bible says that uh, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were placed in the garden and that Satan came and tempted them. And the story the Bible tells of his Satan of Satan is that he was an angel that God created. He had a prominent position in heaven, and he decided that he wanted to overthrow God and become greater than God. And so he did what the Bible calls rebellion. He rebelled. And then Satan, after he was cast out of heaven, because that didn't work, he's not more powerful than God, he came to earth and he tempted Adam and Eve to do the same thing. And they made a decision to do that. They decided to rebel. They put themselves on the side of Satan rather than on the side of God. And the truth is, guys, that we all do this. 
This is how we live. Without Jesus, you're not a good person. You don't have a good heart. You're not going to get to heaven because you've done more good things than bad things. You're not compared to your neighbor and to all the people that are in prison who are really the bad people in our society. You're not compared against them. The comparative person is Jesus, is God, who's perfect and pure and made you to live the same way. We've got to come to grips with that. And if that makes you angry hearing me say that, you're kind of proving my point. <laughs> kind of proving my point. Um, that, that this is the nature of who we are. It's interesting to me that as a culture, sometimes we hear this message and we repulse against it, and yet what do we do the first time someone gets upset with us because of something we did wrong? You know, you did that wrong, you hurt me, and what do we say? Well, nobody's perfect. Give me a break, man. Nobody's perfect. So we, we understand we don't walk in perfection, yet we struggle somehow to come under the judgment of God. And the truth is that the just nature of God requires that he deals with rebellion in the human race. God would not be God, and he certainly wouldn't be good if he didn't deal with this rebellion. He created us, and he must not allow us to overthrow him. This would be a travesty. It would turn what's good into something evil. It would allow evil to win. And so God, in his power, in his authority, in his character, being pure and good, right? He must punish evil. And so the punishment for evil living is judgment. Romans chapter 2. Let's move over to chapter 2. Starting in verse 12. says this, When the Gentiles sin... They will be destroyed even though they never had the written, uh, they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts. Either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. Paul says both Jew and Gentile will face judgment. Every human being that walks the earth will face an accounting for what they've, they've done. Remember, judgment in the Bible is a conscious place of torment in hell, a place that is called the lake of fire. It's a place of burning. It's, it's not going to be a cool place where we get to party with all my friends. No, it's a place of pain and anguish, right? Remorse over a life lived apart from God. It's punishment for rebellion, Listen, that's the reality. That's what Jesus talked about. That's the, that's the reality of the Bible's narrative. This is the story of what's going to happen to the human race. And so, got to come to grips with it. The Bible says that there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can do that by choice. You can choose to bend your knee and acknowledge God and who he is and who you are in relation to him. Or you can be forced to. Either way, it's going to go down. If you're forced to, then by the nature of that, you've not bent your own will to him. It's going to result in punishment. A lot of people over the years, as I've shared this, or I've, they've heard this story, 
say, man, what a manipulative story. Like, here's this God who created people. He put them in a garden, and then he tempted them to sin. And then when he did, he said, I'm going to send you to hell if you don't trust in my, in my way of salvation. What a manipulative thing. And people are critical of Christianity. I think it's interesting that having raised three kids, now a granddaughter, there are some things that I try to instill fear into my, I did into my children, certainly will into my granddaughter, about certain things in life that could harm them. Uh, I don't know why, but it seems like all kids want to reach up on top of the stove and touch a burner. I don't know what it is about that. Why is that so attractive? But they all do. And the truth is, if you're a caring parent, you scare them away from it. You tell them about the horrible thing that's going to happen to them if they touch that burner, because you know it's going to hurt them. And the truth is that a loving God who really cared, the truth is that as human beings, we're in rebellion and we're headed for judgment. Would he not say to us out of love and care, hey, you're going off the cliff. Stop. Don't go that direction. Wouldn't he really do that out of care and concern? The answer is, of course he would. And so we struggle sometimes as human beings because at heart, we're rebels. We don't like to face judgment. We don't like to face accountability. But it is the truth. It's inevitable. And a loving God would do that. The truth is fear sometimes is a great motivator. It's a great thing to tap into. But there's a lot of fears in our world that people have. Mysophobia, mysophobia is the fear of dirt. I always thought dirt was great. I don't understand that fear. Get a little cut or something, rub a little dirt on it, man. You're good, right? Is that what you guys do? No? Hydrophobia is the fear of water. Uh, Nyclophobia is the fear of darkness. Acrophobia, the fear of high places. Taxophobia, the fear of being taxed. Or no, it's the fear of being buried alive. (laughs) Xenophobia is the fear of strangers. Necrophobia is the fear of the dead. Claustrophobia, the fear of tight spaces. We've all had a fear of some kind. Most of us maybe can relate to one of those fears. The truth is, most of those are irrational. They're things that we fear that we're probably never going to end up in that situation, but we're afraid of them. The truth is that we should have a fear of God. We should have a fear of impending judgment. That's a good fear. That's something we should naturally be aware of, have a sense of, that we even break our own rules, and that there is someone out there that we're going to be held accountable to. We should have a fear of that. Sadly, A lot of people have a fear of dirt and don't have a fear of the living God. Jesus said, you should not fear the one who could kill the body, but you should fear the one who can take the soul and make a judgment about where that soul is going to spend eternity. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. It's the condition that we're in as a human race. You must understand your true spiritual condition or you will never understand your need for God. 
You can shake your fist at God. You can live in rebellion to him. Or you can understand your position before him. And you can appreciate what God has done on your behalf. That he actually is not sitting up there waiting to destroy you. That's not his intention. That's not his heart. That's not his desire. He didn't create you so he could throw you in hell for eternity. He doesn't have some kind of demented way of thinking. That's the way we think as human beings. God loves us. He desperately wants to see us spend eternity with him. The truth is the Bible tells us that Jesus' sacrifice brings salvation. Romans chapter 3 tells us the good news starting in verse 21. It says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did, he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. The Bible says that God moved, motivated by his love. He moved. Jesus left heaven and came on mission to this earth. He lived a life among us. He loved on us. He revealed to us who God is. He showed us by his, the nature of his actions, his life, the words that he said, revealing to us the truth about who we are, the truth about God, the truth about what God was doing. And that's why when he came, he offered the kingdom of God. And the leaders, the Jewish leaders knew, they saw Jesus forgiving sins and, and uh, uh, speaking uh, spiritual truth and spiritual principles, and they saw what he was doing. They understood his claims, and they put him on trial and got the Romans to crucify him to stop him. They didn't want to see him succeed in his mission. The truth is, though, in killing him, in putting him to death, they accomplished the very will of God because Jesus died as a sacrificial lamb, shedding his blood for the sins of the world. And so we don't have to live condemned. We don't have to live guilty. We don't have to walk through this life with our heads held down in shame, knowing that we're going to face judgment and there's nothing that we can do about it. But the truth is that the only one who could do something about it did. And God, again, motivated out of love for us, he moved to save. Have you ever put your trust in the work of Jesus on the cross for you? Have you ever put your faith in him? I don't know where you're at today. If you've been sitting in church for a while, if you've been checking into the claims of Jesus, if you like being around uh, the message of the gospel and the message of God's love, yeah, I don't know where you're at. But I want to tell you today that you need to make a decision about Jesus. 
You know, uh, it's been said that Jesus was a great teacher and a great leader, but someone some time ago, a, a Christian leader, distilled it down to this. He said, Jesus was one of three things. He was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he really is Lord overall. And so I want to call you to get reconnected to the God who made you, to not continue to live in a place where you're going to face judgment, but to walk from death into life. And if you'd bow your heads for just a minute, I want to lead you in a prayer. The Bible says that if you put your trust in Jesus, if you believe with all of your heart, with faith, that what Jesus did on the cross for you is enough to cover your sin, that his sacrifice on the cross really is what you need for salvation, that the Bible says you put your trust in that if you believe in it, that God is going to come into your life and he's going to remove your sin and he's going to save you. He's going to make you right. And so I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. A prayer is not magical, but if you talk to God and if you mean this in your heart, you can be saved. Pray this way. God, I come to you today acknowledging that I'm a sinner, that I've lived in rebellion against you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. And so today... I'm putting my trust in what Jesus did for me. That when he shed his blood on the cross, that that blood paid for my sins. And so I want to ask you to come into my life and forgive me. Come in and make me a new creation. Move me from death to life. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.